That's why I think that most often Christianity is rejected is they see the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, treating the commands of Christ so trivially. The drive of the king of the Alaskan king salmon to return to the place in which he was spawned can't hold a candle to your fallen heart's love for yourself and your fallen heart's drive to promote self, to preserve self, to protect self, to pleasure self, to advance self at any cost. And if you can, through the help of the Holy Spirit, see that in yourself at how deeply in love your fallen self is with yourself, then Jesus' words for you will begin to become offensive. Because what He says to you is that in order to follow Me, you have to be a denier of self. I don't know that man. I've never seen him before. I have no association with him. Do not connect me with him because I'm not part of his little group. Jesus says, in non-negotiable fashion, to come after me, you must be a denier of self. So this is the image of the salmon swimming up upstream. And in that, in that image... We're thinking, okay, that's like my drive. My drive to look in that mirror. My drive to get in front of the next person. Or that make sure that I get in front of as many people as I can. My drive for self, self, self. Me, me, me. Always me, always me, always me. Yes, I may be capable of doing some kind things. I may be capable of doing some generous things. But at the heart of it all, at the bottom of it all, is me, 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 me. Jesus says, that's what must go. Now, let's return back to the first image and we'll bring this all the way back around. We're back now in the room with the mirror on one side and the window on the other side. Okay? So now we have this window on the one side and through the window, our Father is looking, saying, Come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden. Come unto me and I'll give you rest. But then on the other side is the mirror. Now, what happens when you look in the mirror? And you see God behind you. And that is every false religion in the world. Looking in the mirror and seeing yourself up front and God over your shoulder and thinking, this is how I get to Him. In fact, not only is that every false religion in the world, that oftentimes is the Christian expression, or should I say the distorted Christian expression. That is oftentimes how we misunderstand what Jesus is saying. To say, you must deny self. Well, what he's, what he's saying is, we must, you must deny yourself something. You must deny something of yourself. To say that what Jesus is saying is, you must deny something of yourself, is looking in the mirror and seeing yourself, seeing God over your shoulder and saying, this is, this is how I get to my Father. 
So you see the, the, the analogy, how the image is working? That helps me to really get a grasp on what Jesus is speaking of when he says, you must deny yourself. So this was the first step. Jesus says, if anyone or since you have this God-implanted desire to be mine, let me tell you what must happen. You must deny self. You must turn from the mirror. You must turn your back to the mirror and turn to me. Secondly, he says, take up your cross. So you must deny yourself and take up his cross and follow me. So these words must have been very strange for the disciples. For us, they're not so strange. And they're not so strange for us because we know that Jesus will die on a cross. And so for us, it makes a lot of sense. But for the disciples, Jesus has not gone to the cross. So these words from Jesus, take up your cross, they must have been very odd for Jesus to suddenly begin bringing into the conversation a cross, a Roman cross. Now, the disciples, don't be mistaken, we might say, well, well Jesus is using a, a, a phrase. This, this must have been a phrase that people used to mean, kind of like we use the phrase, take up your cross. We'll get to there in just a minute. But we use this phrase, take up your cross. Jesus, was, maybe he was saying something like that. Some sort of phrase that people of Jesus' day would have understood to mean that you must be dedicated unto death. The only problem is there is absolutely no such phrase that Jesus or any one of Jesus' contemporaries ever would have known of. Because in Jesus' day, the idea of a Roman cross was something that was crystal clear in everyone's understanding in the entire area of the world in which Jesus lived. You know, it's been estimated that during Jesus' lifetime, the Romans crucified somewhere around 30,000 people. 30,000 people. So death by crucifixion, Understand this, death by crucifixion was not something that an Israelite would have heard of every now and then. Death by crucifixion would have been one of the ugliest realities of almost everyday life, especially everyday life in Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Jesus and 11 of the disciples are from Galilee, but nevertheless, even Galilean Jews do what every year? They go to Passover in Jerusalem. They go to the Feast of Booths every year in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a center aspect of, of the life of every Jew. And so the reality of what took place in and around Jerusalem on nearly a daily basis would have been something that as soon as Jesus mentioned this word cross, you can rest assured that nothing popped into their mind about some sort of article of jewelry or some sort of, of adversity in life or some sort of difficulty that you must bear. Nothing like that would have popped into their mind. So the disciples, they've got to be thinking, what in the world is Jesus now talking about? A cross. You must take up your cross and follow me. So in the same way, that we have taken Jesus' words, you must deny yourself. And we've twisted that into you must deny yourself something. We've twisted that into instead of you must deny yourself, well, in order to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself of something. So if you're going to follow Jesus, then tell you what, I'll give up chocolate for Lent. There you go. Or I'll, I'll give up sandwiches for Lent. My favorite sandwich, uh, Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I'll give them up for Lent, right? Following Jesus. 
In the same way that we've perverted His teaching of self-denial, so also have we perverted His teaching of taking up a cross. Because what does Jesus mean by take up your cross? He He doesn't tell us. He doesn't explain it. So we're left to ask the Scriptures. What does Jesus mean by take up your cross? What could Jesus mean? So we've interpreted take up your cross. Basically, it falls into two schools of thought. Take up your cross. Jesus is speaking of the tribulations and the trials and the difficulty of life. And so we often will think about carry my cross as, uh, well, my cross to bear is a, a spouse that is not very kind. And that's just my cross to bear. Or my cross to bear is that uh, I work at, at a job and my boss is not very kind to me and I'm not, I'm not very much appreciated. That's my cross to bear. Or we've understood take up your cross as to mean something to do with afflictions in this life, maybe physical afflictions, maybe, maybe a bad back. Maybe a back that hurts me every day. Maybe uh, other health issues. That's just my cross to bear. What a perversion of what Jesus is saying. Because not one of Jesus' contemporaries would have heard that and ever connected that together with some sort of tribulation in life or some sort of um, sickness or malady. If you could get into a time capsule and you could travel back to the first century and you could sit in on one of those early church meetings and you were to say, you know, hey, I, when Jesus said that we all got to bear our cross, you know, I, that just means so much to me. And, and I just think about this situation at home where my kids just don't really respect me and they don't listen to me. And I, that's just my cross to bear. They would have looked at you like you have two heads. And they would have said, what in the world are you talking about? A cr- bearing your cross is your, your disrespectful kids. So what does Jesus mean when he says bear? You must take up your cross and bear your cross. So first of all, we understand that bearing the cross meant something different for Jesus than it does for his disciples. That is necessarily the case. Because for Jesus to bear the cross, what does Jesus do on the cross? What does the cross mean to Jesus? To Jesus, the cross is the instrument of execution by which he became the sin of his people, And becoming the sin of his people, he is punished for the sin of his people. And being punished for the sin of his people, God's wrath is satisfied and his people can enjoy the righteousness and the acceptance of their father. That's what the cross means to Jesus. But the cross does not mean that for us because the scriptures teach us quite emphatically that no one can pay for the sins of another person. That's why Jesus had to come and do that. So for us, the cross can't mean the place where we make the payment for sin. So what does the cross mean to us? What does bearing this cross mean to us? The best way to answer that is to ask the Bible. What does the cross mean? What does it mean to bear the cross for a a believer, for a disciple? And we find the clearest answer in Romans chapter 6. Look with me in your notes from verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So you see Paul here is talking about not only the death of Christ, but Paul's connection to, Paul's identification with, Paul's union with Christ in his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. You can, you can follow Paul's train of thought. He's looking to the cross. He's looking to the death of Christ. And he's seeing in the death of Christ something of His identity in that. Something of His union, of His togetherness with Christ on the cross. But here in verse 6 is where Paul gets really plain. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm not sure how Paul could have been more clear than that. Because what he says is, to the believer, to the follower of Jesus Christ, here's what the cross means to you. You look to the cross and you see yourself, specifically your old self, dying on that cross. Now, you don't see yourself dying on the cross to pay for your sins. You don't see yourself making the payment for your sin. What you see is Christ making the payment for you, but you see yourself in Him and you see the old man die up there on the cross. And so when Jesus says, if you would come after me, you must take up your own cross and follow me. He can't be meaning anything other than what Paul means when Paul says, look to the cross and you must see your old self being put to death on the cross. So when Jesus says, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. What Jesus is really saying, it seems to me, is not two different things, but two sides of the same coin. The same thing phrased differently. There must be a denial of self. I don't know that man. I don't know him. He is dead to me. I have no association with him. And then taking up the cross, looking to the cross and seeing on the cross of Christ, the old Alicia is dead. The old Donna is dead. The old Josh is dead on the cross. I don't know the old Josh. I don't know him. He's dead to me. He's gone. He's up there on the cross. He's been put to death. All I know now is the newness of life that I now have in Christ, which is what Paul will go on to say in Galatians 2 and verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the epistles, particularly Paul's epistles, will paint for us a very clear picture of what Jesus meant when he's saying you must take up your cross. And to, to say that when Jesus says you must take up your cross, what he really means is you must bear the troubles of this life and just keep on trusting Jesus. Now it's true, you must bear the troubles of this life and keep on trusting Jesus, but that cannot be what bearing your cross means. And to deny yourself, Jesus can't be saying, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you got to find something in your life to, to, that, you, that I'm more valuable than. And you got to be willing to put me ahead of, of uh, I don't know, eating meat on Lent. And you got to be willing to say, you know, I, I would rather have Jesus than eating meat for Lent. What a mockery of Jesus' teaching. You know, I firmly believe, I don't have any statistics or any research to back this up, but I firmly believe this. That when we think about those in, in Western culture who have heard the gospel message and rejected it, we often want to think that most of the people who have rejected the message of Christ have done so because they find His rules too stringent, too hard to follow, or they find the supernatural aspects of the Scripture too hard to believe. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that most people in the Western world 
who have heard the claims of Christ, who have heard the gospel message and rejected it, didn't reject it because they found the rules to be too hard or didn't reject it because they found the supernatural aspect of our faith to be too hard to believe. They've heard it and rejected it because they've understood something about the claims of discipleship and then they look to the Christians that they know and they see that the Christians that they know take it far too trivially. That's why I think that most often Christianity is rejected by those in the first world is they see the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, treating the commands of Christ so trivially as if to say that self-denial is something about, well, something really like self-discipline. Can non-believers have self-discipline? You betcha. You don't need to know Jesus in order to give up some pleasure in life, hoping to gain something better by the giving up of that. Or you don't need to have the Holy Spirit residing in your heart in order for you to, to enforce some sort of harsh treatment on yourself because you think you'll be a better person afterwards. Anybody can do that. And so to treat the claims of Christ, in particular in this passage, when Jesus, I believe, is giving to us the core description of a disciple, the fundamental description of a disciple. A disciple of mine is one whom God has placed into your heart a genuine desire to be mine. That person must deny himself, take up his cross. He must see his old self as dead. He must turn from self. He must turn from the mirror. And lastly, he must follow me. And he called to them, he called to him the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we've seen that the church today has, or really the church throughout all of our history, we have really distorted the denial of self. We've really distorted the taking up of the cross. And once you know it, we've also distorted the follow me. Now, the church has done this throughout church history, but particularly the modern church has really turned this into an art form of of distorting Jesus's command to follow me. And here's how we've done it. When Jesus says, follow me, what we often want to associate that with today is, is the following of a person, the connection to Jesus' person. And so what Jesus is saying is, is this is what's important, your connection to me. Just follow me. Just, you just got to know me and you just got to love me. Sweet Jesus. We just love sweet Jesus. He is ours. He's our savior. He's our master. We love him. He's, he is uh, the, the, the big brother. He's the, he's, he's the best dude in the church. He's, he's our, the one that we follow. He's Jesus. And so we attach ourselves to the person of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Yes, Jesus is saying there is an attachment to me, to my person, to me. But when Jesus says, you must follow me, He is not saying that there's just simply this attachment to me. He's saying that there's an attachment to me and there's an obedience to what I say. Necessarily in Jesus's words to follow me, necessary to that is the command to obey what I say. You might say, well, where does the text say that? Well, let's take a look. It actually says it in two places. If we were to follow the train of thought, Jesus says, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, and here it is the first time, for my sake. So there's the person of Jesus. There's the connection to Jesus, the person of Jesus. For my sake, 
and the Gospels. You see? Jesus put together Himself, the person of Jesus, and His words, because that's what the Gospel is. The Gospel is the words of God, the message of God that says to us, something of our sinful condition, of what our sinful condition has done and what God has done to remove that and have and bring reconciliation. That is the gospel message. That is the doctrine. That is the theology of salvation. And Jesus says, to follow me, you must also, not only for my sake, but also for the gospels. Then he's going to say it one more time. If we look down to verse 38, for whoever is ashamed, and here it is, here it is again, of me and of my word. So two times in the same passage, Jesus connects together not only devotion to him as a person, to him as our master, to him as our rabbi, but also devotion to his words. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's not just saying that you're attached to me, that you have love for me and devotion to me. He also says the same thing he's going to say in John's gospel. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay? So those are the three criteria that are put forth. If anyone, and since you have this desire placed into your heart to want to be his, he has placed this call on you. Jesus says, let me describe to you what the disciple of Christ must do. You must deny self. You must take up cross, and you must follow me and follow my words. So just to wrap this up, just with me, recognize the impossibility of this. The total, complete impossibility of this. What must the Alaskan king salmon do to not go up the stream? The bear's got to get him. Otherwise, he's going to kill himself getting up the stream. Why? Because that's his nature. It's the nature that God gave to him. And so what Jesus is describing is something that only happens when a new nature is given. Because all of us know that even with Christ in our heart and even with this new heart that he's given us, all of us know that this denial of self is utterly contradictory to flesh. Which is why the Scriptures paint that in such a stark contrast. You either walk by the Spirit or you walk by the flesh. It's utterly contradictory to the nature that we were born with because all of us were born as being fanatical lovers of self fanatical promoters of ourself, fanatical preservers and protectors of ourself. And it's only through a new nature. It's only through God doing the impossible. It's only through connection to the vine that this is possible. So Jesus is speaking of a supernatural thing here. Jesus is not describing some sort of hard, difficult task. I've often heard expositors handle this passage and commentators handle this passage to say, Jesus is describing the hardest thing in the life of the Christian. And there's a sense in which that's true. There's a sense in which this is absolutely the most difficult aspect of following Christ, and that is the denial of self and taking up the cross. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this is only done by those who have a new nature, a new nature that has been 
opened, who have, have had eyes opened to the Christ and have seen him and have loved him and have had the indwelling of the Spirit come into our souls in such a way that denial of him is not a possibility. The straight and narrow path that we must agonize to pass through, the narrow gate that we must strive to pass through. Yes, it is striving. But for the one who has tasted and seen that he is good, there is no other option. And so Jesus' description, his description to the, those who are called out is to say, God has put this desire in your heart. And so let me tell you how this desire is going to play out. This desire to belong to him, this desire to be his is going to play out like this. You have to strive to put to death the old self. You have to strive to turn from the old self. You have to strive to see continually every day the old self on the cross died. It's died with Jesus. It was put in the tomb with Jesus. And what came out of the tomb wasn't my old self. It was my new self. I am truly, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, I am truly that new creation in Christ. That, brothers and sisters, I would suggest is probably the most difficult aspect of following Christ, is daily, every day, seeing that, seeing the old self dead, denying the old self, putting to death the old self, and seeing what you can't see with eyes that are in your head, but instead with eyes of faith, seeing the new self that Scripture has told us that He has made you. 